KPMB is an internationally recognized architectural practice based in Canada, established in 1987 by four founding partners, Bruce Coabara, Thomas Payne, Marianne McKenna, and Shirley Bloomberg. The firm is committed to shaping a more equitable and sustainable future through architecture and design. So with its collaborative teams, they have been developing innovative and regenerative design solutions across different skills of projects from education, healthcare, government, arts and culture, hospitality, and many mixed-use developments. Today, we will be conversing about fostering equity, diversity, and inclusion through architecture with Mitchell Hall, one of the partners at KMPMB. So super excited to learn more about it. So thank you so much for joining us, Mitchell. Thank you very much, Karina. I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's our pleasure. So will you first tell us about your background and about the firm? So um, I've been with the firm for 34 of the 36 years that it's been in existence. Wow. Uh, so there, Pretty pretty soon after school, so I've been around for the for the evolution uh, of the practice over the years, and and you know still there because uh, frankly I love the people that I work with. Um, I think that so we're about 120 people. Um, I would I would suggest that we're very like minded and very passionate about what we do. Um, I think the the key differentiators for us, you mentioned a few in your in your intro, is we're great collaborators. Uh, we're, we pursue design excellence in, in, in a very rigorous way. It's in our DNA. Uh, and we're committed to making a really positive change. I mean, the, the, um, we believe that the buildings and environments we design catalyze a positive change. So I think that that's at the root of who we are. Um, and, you know, we, uh, we, one of, I think another differentiator is that, that we actually, um, we have continuity from beginning to end which I think is somewhat unusual in the architectural profession. So what I mean by that is, you know, we, the, the members of the team or a number of them begin at the beginning and were there at the end and then some, you know, I was actually having a conversation with a client that I, for a winery I did 25 years ago about, you know, making some improvements. So uh, in a way, our buildings are kind of like our children. Um, you know, you never stop being a parent, you know, kind of in a way, but. Um, mm, that's super cool. So actually, if we zoom out a little bit, um, I'm curious about how do you see the role of people in architecture in general? So, so that's a really interesting question. And, and for me, it's sort of, it's uh, I, I, the way I would simply answer that is architecture is in the service of people, right? I mean, we have, uh, we, we create these buildings or these containers for people to do what they do, something that meets their functional needs, but that's a building. Architecture goes beyond that. Architecture creates spaces that are inspirational, that that improve people's lives, and frankly make the world a better place. As corny as that sounds, I mean, I think that as as architects, I think our obligation is to look at the world the way it is, and do everything we can to make it better. Um, I think what what we've often found in in pursuing different types of buildings is there's a certain attitude or expectation that something is the way it is for a reason. But usually, when you explore that, you find that nobody understands the reason that it is the way it is which means, in my opinion, it's up for grabs. If you can't explain why something is what it is, then it's open for interpretation and, frankly, innovation. I think that's where really kind of great uh, architecture comes from. Mm, yeah, I agree. Since the topic of today is equity, diversity, and inclusion, so what do you think are the key elements uh, or strategies to highlight in you know, um, making designs that promote those, those points? Another another really good and obviously pertinent question. 
I mean, for me, it begins with accessibility. It's pretty fundamental, right? Uh, sort of your ability to kind of move through a building. But um, our process actually starts with, with listening and asking questions. And, you know, I think that that is, is a differentiator. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier on, but I think we're great listeners. I'm, I, I personally love to learn. I'm a, I think I'm a great student. Um, so every every building is an opportunity to learn. And so in in doing so, in, in being able to be good listeners and asking good questions, I think we can begin to better understand the barriers uh, that exist in the world and frankly, how to overcome them. Um, we're great collaborators. We we engage in, you know, in uh, a broad level of stakeholder engagement across multiple disciplines and multiple stakeholders. Uh, and, and, you know, that process allows us to kind of think more deeply um, about the kind of issues um, that that are that need to be addressed with regards to equity, diverse, diversity, and inclusion. And and when necessary, we bring in subject matter experts. When you know we're we're happy to admit when we don't know something, um, but we're also you know smart enough to know to go out and seek out that advice and engage those people in the discussion and and therefore hopefully come up with solutions that address, um, you know, the challenges of the modern world. That's super nice. So now uh, will you share with us about the LEAF project and uh, initially what did you try to achieve through the design and about the outcomes as well? So so um, the brief for us was to, uh, was to create a, a modern purpose. Um, the building was about a modern purpose and we went, okay, what does that mean? What does a modern purpose mean? And, and for our client, it was about celebrating the relationship between plants and people, essentially cultural and botanical diversity. So, um, I mean, I've, I've had the privilege of working on all kinds of different projects in my career. And this one's pretty unique. And I'm sure you'll agree. I mean, not a lot of people get to design buildings like this. Um, and, you know, we, we competed for it and we won. Uh, but the inspiration really was nature itself and the geometries that are found in nature um, the Fibonacci se sequence uh, is, is basically a mathematical sequence that determines the shape of nautilus shells and sunflowers and, and various other forms in nature, ferns. And so that became um, sort of a, a guiding light for the geometry of the roof in particular. If you look at the roof, I think you'll see the, the geometry I'm referring to for obvious reasons, right? I mean, nature's kind of figured it out, right? The other thing that um, I... Uh, one of my hobbies over the last 30 years has been raising bonsai trees. And so for us, the, you know, the idea of this bonsai or the building as a tree um, was kind of intriguing as an idea. Winnipeg is a very flat landscape. It's the, it's essentially a prairie. And this idea that maybe you could um, do a building as a tree that you could climb up where the branches became the biomes and you could kind of see the world in a slightly different way was kind of really interesting to us. And the other thing about bonsai, as I'm sure you know, is that it's a it's a perfected form of nature, right? It's it's man sort of manipulating nature to make it even more beautiful than it is, and the fact that it's contained, which is literally what these biomes are, right? There, there are these entire landscapes that are contained within a building. So for us, that you know that was a pretty good starting point um, for the building. Um, so that's where these kind of biomes come from. And I don't know if you know anything about Winnipeg, but the climate in Winnipeg goes from minus minus forty degrees Celsius to plus 40 degrees Celsius. So, you know, winters are very cold, summers are very hot and humid. So how do you create, you know, a, an environment within a building that sustains, in this case, a subtropical and a Mediterranean kind of climate? So there was a huge sort of technical challenge 
um, sustainability is always top of mind for us. It's it's one of our obviously our drivers, and so th there was a need to kind of explore very simple passive systems like orientation with regards to the sun, natural ventilation when it gets too hot. You know, the literally dampers that open at the top and the bottom and to try to minimize the mechanical implications of the building. So again, this idea of kind of creating a really sustainable approach. Um, the roof was a huge deal for us. In fact, it, in a lot of ways, it became the project because we needed to make sure that we created an environment where plants could grow and thrive in this kind of climate that I'm describing. So we explored uh, this material called ETFE, which is ethylene tetrafluoride ethylene. And it's, it's essentially a, a plastic foil, but it's very transparent. And when you, when you pump it full of air in the form of cushions, it creates great insulation value. So, and you know, the, one of the challenges with growing plants inside, I know I'm kind of going off on a technical tangent here, but one of the challenges of growing plants inside in, a, in this kind of environment is what's referred to as structural shading. So in other words, whatever holds the roof up can't cast a whole bunch of shadows on the plants because then they won't do well, right? So we came up with what we refer to as a cable net working with our structural engineers. That's basically this kind of delicate web uh, of cables that then these cushions are attached to. And this is where the Fibonacci series comes in. If you look at the roof, you'll see the geometry of, of a, frankly, of a sunflower is the one that most closely matches it. Um, so, so that was, you know, those were kind of some of the drivers. Um, th this concept of biophilic design, I'm sure you're familiar with it, uh, especially in the modern world where mental, mental illness is a huge challenge for people, especially coming out of the pandemic. Creating environments that promote wellness was a, was a big deal for us. I do a lot of hospital work as well. And it's well understood and documented that access to nature actually makes us feel better, right? Even if it's a photograph of nature. And so this ability to kind of interact with nature um, and, you know, literally be in it has a healing uh, has a healing effect, and it's been proven in in clinical environments. In fact, I I did a hospital where um, the relationship to adjacent parks uh, was was demonstrated through a post occupancy evaluation to to uh, improve patient outcomes by thirty percent. Something I'm really proud of. You know, architects want to believe that what they do will make a difference, but this is someone else saying, by the way, what you did did make a difference. So that's a big part of it. And then this is something that was personally interesting to me was an idea of transcendence. So what I mean by that is your ability to create a place where people can go beyond their daily experience, um, you know, li literally transcend that experience and go into another world. Uh, and the biomes for me, what was that? Like, how do you create that kind of environment? And in Winnipeg, where it, go it gets as cold as it does, and if you can't afford to fly somewhere warm in the winter, this is the place to go, right? You can literally go to the tropics without leaving the city. So that became a huge driver uh, for the design, this idea of transcendence. Um, and for me, the waterfall was a way of kind of promoting that, right? It's this kind of really powerful feature that, that serves uh, technical functions, but also allows you to kind of move from one world into the other, if that makes any sense. Um, so th that was, those were the kind of key, I don't know, the key ideas, um, you know, at a sort of a technical and a, and a, a conceptual level. That's really amazing. So um, I'm curious about the outcomes of it. Um, how does the organic design maybe become a reflection of culture in Canada? So that's 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 another really good question. I mean, the I think you know this about Canada. Canada is a very multicultural country, right? And what's I think what's 
great about this country is it allows people of different cultures to maintain connections to their roots and beliefs. They're not they're not sort of uh, indoctrinated into someone else's you know view of the world. They're allowed to to you know participate in the country and carry on the way they would in their own country, and, and essentially live in those kind of communities. So I think right off the bat, this idea of cultural diversity is very much about what this building is all about, right? We spoke about uh, cultural and botanical diversity, the relationship between people and plants. There was a story about a, a gentleman from the Philippines who came, who's, who lives in Winnipeg, and he, he looked like the last time he was in the Philippines was he was a kid. And he went into the biome and he saw a plant that he hadn't seen since he was a little boy, and he literally burst into tears, right? So it was this kind of making these kind of connections back to that and and kind of celebrating where he was coming from. I mean, at a purely formal level, I would say that the, the the shape of the roof, although you know we've described it as sort of a flower or whatever, I think it also connotes shelter, right? A, literally a roof over your head um, that that could be related to you know multiple cultures, cultures, quite frankly, in terms of including indigenous cultures here in Canada that you know kind of speaks to this idea of shelter. But I think more so the building itself and the plan of the building is very open. It's very inclusive, and I think it's very welcoming. And to me, that's what that's you know that's what Canada is all about. Yeah, it looks really nice. I bet it has a really amazing social experience as well. It it, it, it I I'm obviously I'm biased, but it, <laughs> but it does. Yeah, no, it's 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 a pretty special place. Yeah, I bet. So, um, lastly, how do you envision the role of architecture in tackling um, the issues related to climate change and sustainable urban developments? So we we had a really interesting chat about this the other morning, and I'll give you an example in, in a minute. But uh, basically for me, it's obviously going beyond lead. That's sort of a, a statement of the obvious. Um, carbon neutral, net zero. I mean, that's the, the biggest challenge we face right now. How do we reduce carbon? Uh, another statistic I'm sure you know is that 40% of the emissions, carbon emissions globally are attributable to the built environment. So clearly architects are in, you know, kind of in, in a really important role uh, we have, I think we have the agency to enact change. And, you know, I think the the idea of adaptive reuse is really important. I've done another number of projects where we reuse buildings. This wasn't one of them, obviously, because it wasn't possible. But wherever possible, I think, you know, the most sustainable building is an existing building. Um, so the idea of, you know, trying to, to reuse things, adaptive reuse, I think is pretty fundamental. Um, the uh, the idea that, that, uh, that, you know, as architects, we have this agency, we have, I think, incredible problem solving skills, and, and we're able to think laterally. And I think we're able to inform uh, the future and the process, um, you know, kind of convince our clients to do the right things, uh, hopefully convince uh, governments and, and policymakers to make the right kind of decisions as it relates to, to climate change and, and carbon reduction. Um, the example that we discussed the other morning that I think is really interesting, uh, I'm not sure what it's like where you are, but housing is a huge issue in Canada. Uh, the ability to provide affordable housing for people it's probably a global issue, I'm sure, but close to home, it's a big deal for us, and especially with um, the number of immigrants that come to our country every year, that are welcome to every our country every year. We can't offer them a place to live, certainly not an affordable place to live, right? So that's a huge challenge. And the study that we talked about the other day was interesting because it basically said this idea, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is a tribute, if this is applicable to to Jakarta, probably not, but. Um, single family homes in Canada, because there's so much space in Canada, 
there's this perception that you can just keep sprawling out in the suburbs forever because there's so much, you know, there's so much land. But the reality is it's, that's hugely uh, carbon intensive and frankly, the wrong thing to do. Um, so the, the suggestion is in order to solve that problem, especially in the urban environment, is to increase density, um, obviously reduce waste and, 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 and promote energy efficiency, but build mid-rise instead. So instead of building single family homes, build, you know, sort of small type apartment type buildings, right? Maybe not as many condos, but um, so that's that I think is a really uh, simple example of how we can actually make a difference um, when it comes to climate change. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm really glad that, and I'm really excited because like architects are in the position to lead changes, and, you know, with their lateral and forward thinking, we can get together all these different collaborators to think about the future. And I was also inspired by actually the firm's approach in, you know, collaboration and continuity. I think that's big because that means caring not only during the lifetime of the project, but also like beyond that, right? After the building is built, you do beyond even the post-occupancy evaluation. It's more about, you know, checking back in on it um, five, 10, 20, 30 years after that and see how it's doing. Maybe if it needs some adaptations, maybe it's like a requiring a new purpose that's also going back to like your idea of adaptive reuse, right? Absolutely. The, the example of the winery today, they're, I mean, that, that building's also hugely successful. It, it's a little, you know, it's a little worn because, you know, buildings don't, you know, they, they, they show their wear after a while. They need to be maintained. That's one of the biggest challenges. So we try to, you know, build in as many sort of um, robust and durable materials as we can. But of course, that costs money too. So you have to be careful. But they're looking at rethinking the whole second floor of the winery. So we're in there helping them kind of um, do that, right? And in the most sort of cost-effective and energy-efficient way. But obviously, they're, their brand is evolving and they need to, you know, they need to adapt accordingly. So yeah, I think it, I think it's a really important challenge. And as you say, we're, we're really well positioned to, to help, um, help direct things and help move things in the right direction, kind of motivate and communicate and collaborate. So I agree. Cool. Thank you so much for the talk today. Uh, we learned a lot and keep doing great things. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to meet you and Thank you for your interest in the project and in our firm.